You're listening to Modded. And on today's episode, we have Lino Martinez. And Lino and I go, we go back a couple of years, and it was actually a, a funny story. And it goes to show really how kind of small the world can be at times. Um, and this was back in uh, 2015 that I met you. And this was when Mayday Garage hosted the Rice Bowl in uh, George R. Brown. So that was like their little show. And I remember that people came from everywhere for, uh, for that show. I talked to a guy who drove his S2000 from Georgia just to be at that Mayday Garage. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, this was, I don't think it was the first time, but quite a few people came and uh, Car Shop Glow was there. And that was like one of the main big attractions that a lot of people were, you know, there's a lot of hype surrounding the tail lights with the David and Kim had done in their video and stuff. So it was a pretty big show that a lot of, uh, a lot of people did want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Was that the first time that Car Shop Glow came to the U.S.? Or maybe the I second? I think it was the second time. I think yeah. it was the second because they had invited me to the first. Um, but for some reason I couldn't go. And, uh, another big reason was, um, during Rice Bowl, Option Magazine was going to cover the event, which of course, Ken from Car Shop Glow did a lot of the, the shooting for them and their coverage was based on his photos and stuff. So that, I think that was one of the big reasons behind the show having a good success and a big showing. Right. And I should clarify too, in case the audio sounds funny for the people listening, is that we're doing this via Skype because even though uh, Lino was in Austin at the time that I was in Houston, we could just never coordinate a time to sit down and record. So we're doing this via Skype for uh, for the moment. So when we were at the show, I noticed your car and I started talking to you and just getting some background on it. Um, and then you mentioned that your wife was from Taiwan and that you had actually been to Taiwan that same year for the Lantern Festival. And it also happened to be at the same time that I was in Taiwan for the same festival, except we, were, we weren't even in the same um, parts of Taiwan. I think you were in Taichung and I stayed mostly in Taipei. Yep. And I was like, how crazy that we were both in a foreign country at the same time for the same festival. And now we're here at the same show. And then both of us are into modifying cars. And both of us are big into Japan and the history. And I think from then on, we just kind of hit it off. For sure. And the other thing, too, is I think uh, just to add to a little bit of that, uh, I mean, you got along real well just because of the things we talked about, uh, background stuff, like you said, in Taiwan and all that. And then that was the first show that I actually met up with David and Kim, like in person. I would spoke with them a lot and being on the ARC7 club forums and community um, for a real long time. I kind of knew who they were, you know, and they, I think they kind of knew of me as well, but I never really physically met them. So I knew I was going to the show and I was excited about it just to see a bunch of JDM cars and different types of builds that I expected to see that were quality, which, you know, it definitely, the show delivered on that. And, uh, it was refreshing to kind of meet somebody just to hang out with, uh, because I really didn't know too many people there to be honest. So, uh, but yep. Yeah. that was one of the, the only time that somebody else hosted that show that coincided with anime Matsuri. 
So that was like part of the ticket is that you could get access to the show and also to Anime Matsuri, which is going on at that convention center at the exact same time. So it was pretty cool because we got to see a lot of people that were in cosplay going around the cars. And if you wanted to, you can go take a break. So it was more than just a show. You could actually go to the other side and check out um, check out the festival that was going on too. So and if you're, I'm, and I'm sure David and Kim will hear this and throw another one. It's time for another one. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to the podcast today with me and you can agree about that. So, <laughs> yeah, that was a, it was one of the most fun events because so that, that was a, what was different about that show as well as that it didn't have any sort of judging. It was literally just a gathering for people to come and check out each other's cars and check out like products from car shop glow and to just chill, no pressure, no anything. Exactly. And you had the time to look around and actually get to meet people. It's like what I did was like I met you. I also met some of the people that I had seen um, in Houston and just in Texas at the time. It was one of the first times meeting them. And so that was kind of like uh, the foundation for a lot of the friendships that I that I made from from then on. Yep, same here as well, to be honest with you. So it was a, it was a memorable show that I'll never forget. And it was a good time for sure. So then we go into now um, your history with cars because I remember some of the stories that you were telling me about each and every one of them. I think the first one that I remember was a Honda that you had, uh, but yeah. I don't know if there was one before that. So, yeah, I'll start at the beginning. So uh, just to give a little bit of brief history about myself, uh, I was born in 82, so I'm, I'm, I'm an old man. Uh, compared to quite a few other people that are kind of getting into modified cars nowadays. So, um, but you're never too old to appreciate this stuff or get out of it. Um, I pretty much started, it, I guess, back in high school, I'd have to say, because um, some more personal information about myself, my family, nobody in my family was ever into cars. My dad, you know, a lot of people have the privilege of their father showing them how to wrench on a car or, you know, kind of passed down something you do with a family member, you kind of bond uh, doing that, but nobody was really big into cars. Um, but at the time when I was going in, going to high school, this was back in 96, 97, I was a freshman or sophomore. Um, the Honda scene was kind of kicking pretty big. So yeah, it kind of started in high school with me. Uh, my first car was a 1993 Honda Accord 10th anniversary edition. So uh, the car was Previously in my family, it was my uncle's car. Uh, he actually got it when he graduated medical school. He's a doctor now. Uh, my grandfather had bought it for him brand new. And um, I always wanted a Honda Accord during that time. Um, just I really liked the way they looked. It was Japanese and uh, good gas mileage and reliable. So I, I wanted a 94 through 97 um, four-door just because the taillights at that time, kind of with what was going on with the early stages of tuning and Kind of, I guess you could call it ricer days, but they had the triangle lights and you could put the Altezza lights on them. So it looked really cool back then. Uh, if you're kind of old school like me, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. So that's how it started with me. So my first car was that. And uh, funny thing is, as soon as I bought that car, you know, quite a few of the other guys who had Civics and one guy was actually spraying nitrous at my high school. And he was like the fastest guy there was. Um, he had like a 95 coupe. and uh, he was, you know, during lunch, they'd go out and race, and uh, everybody was talking about how fast his car was, this and that, and kind of intrigued me. So I, I definitely started into my modifying. I, got, I guess I got my modifying kind of bug from that. 
just from what everybody else was doing. So uh, the Honda Accord is kind of what started for me, even though it was automatic, to be honest with you. Um, but I put like an exhaust on it. And it was a $600 Tanabi Hyper Medallion. You know, it was like full catback stainless. I mean, that was, it was unheard of to spend quite a bit of money. Like nobody really did that, especially for like an Accord back then. Um, I actually, actually got one piece JDM headlights from Japan for it. You know, um, they're from the Honda Inspire, but uh, they fit the Accord here. It's pretty much the same body. You got like a AM cold air intake that went all the way to the bottom. The If anybody knows about these infamous old school ones, they're the ones that you run over a puddle, man, and it sucks up some water and you can lock your engine up pretty easily before they came out with like the filter design to to stop the water from coming up. But had one of those and uh, lowered it, of course, and got some some Tanabi wheels on it uh but yeah that's kind of what started it all um from then i proceeded into wanting to do a lot more and go faster right because a lot of the guys i started hanging around with they're you know actually putting real power down with their hondas and like that guy had nitrous on his civic and i met a i actually went to school with one of the one of the guys that he was a good friend of mine and he had a honda core as well he was always talking about putting a preload engine into it and stuff. So I started kind of, you know, researching a little bit on what to do and what I can do to make my car faster. And uh, he actually introduced me to uh, a crew back then that I was a part of that was kind of well known in Austin. If you if you were around this area, it was called Speed Syndicate 1320 Racing. And uh, what's funny is a lot of these guys had B18s and their Civic EG hatches, B16s. Some were spraying nitrous on the stock you know, D16 single cams. Um, so they're all about speed, you know. It wasn't really uh, what you would think, like kind of just ricey stuff, even though there was some of that stuff that kind of went on with me as well. My first car, you know, I put clear taillights on my Honda Accord. Um, it's kind of funny stuff you think about it now, but, you know, everybody starts somewhere. So um, that kind of what propelled me into the modified scene. And uh, just being with that, that, a part of that crew, um, quite a few, you know, all we did was we'd race at night, we'd go to Houston a lot. So I can get into that stuff too, because that's, that's kind of some older stuff that doesn't really happen nowadays. Back then, you know, we drive from Houston and go uh, from Austin to Houston. And, uh, they had like a couple events called world import challenge. Any old school guys listening will probably know what I'm talking about. Um, drag wars, you know, this was 1999, 2000, 2001, uh, they're putting on these events and uh, um, there were quite a few, you know, the Honda scene was really, really going at that time. So a lot of guys go there with their swaps and try to run good times. I mean, if you're running, you know, 14s, thir 13s, if you're in the 13s back then, you're you're considered pretty fast for, for the Honda, for the Honda crew, you know. Of course, back then there was Supras and stuff like that. They're always running 11s and 12s and ARC 7s, but for the Honda stuff, uh, you're considered fast to run a 13. So, yeah, it, got, it kind of started with all that. And then um, all those guys, they uh, they kept going with their Hondas. One of one of the guys in one of our crew was, he had a brand new 2000 uh, Civic Si. And it was a big rave back then because it, it was the first Civic that we got in the U.S. with a B16 double overhead cam B-Tech. So um, he bought that and then he put a turbo kit on it. He was the fastest one in the crew. And there was another guy who had a 240 with an SR, but his car never ran right. 
Uh, another guy who had a EK hatch with a B20. I mean, this is all, you know, 2001, 2000. Uh, so back in the day. Uh, so I, I guess you could consider, I consider our crews pretty fast back then. Like a lot of people kind of knew it. We had like a, a banner that went on the windshield and stuff, Speed Syndicate. Um, but yeah, so from there, I uh, wanted a quicker car. So went ahead and got rid of the, actually gave my mom the Honda Accord that I had used all through high school. And um, I told her, hey, uh, I'm going to go start looking for a Honda Civic. Because back then, that if you wanted to go fast, the Civic hatchback was, the EG was the way to go. It was just lightweight. It's a lot lighter than like an EK Civic hatchback. So a lot of people who really wanted to go fast always just got an EG hatch and put a motor swap in. So like I said, a lot of the guys in Speed Syndicate, they were doing B18s. One guy even had a B18 C5 Type R engine in his hatchback, which was, you know, pretty expensive back then. Um, so I wanted to do something different. Um, so one day, me and my mom were kind of driving around. I think we're going to visit some family or something. And Howdy Honda, which is a Honda dealership, used to be off of IH35 and Ben White in Austin. Uh, it's no longer there, but I remember we drove by, and in the parking lot, I saw a little black hatchback. And I immediately told my mom, let's go look at that car real quick. So we turned in. The car was totally beat up. I mean, it had somebody must have shot it in the headlights, like with pellets or bullets or something, because it had like holes in the headlights. It was like three different colors. It was, it was a black originally, but the rear fenders were dented in. The front fenders were all rusted and bent in. Um, it had like the old school four dot four phone dial wheels, four, four lug. Um, yeah, so... I mean, it was just sitting there, you know, it looked, looked like a piece of junk. But to me, when I saw that, I knew the potential that could be had with that thing, you know, for what my purpose of wanting to do with the car back then was trying, just trying to go fast, you know? So we we talked to the sales guy. We're like, hey, how much is this car? It's a 1993 Honda Civic hatchback, SI, black, sunroof, kind of heaviest model you could buy. Um, the guy said, yeah. It's a kind of a junker. It runs. It's a 1.6 liter single cam. Gets good gas mileage. It's, it's a five speed. Uh, we want 500 bucks for it. So I, at that time, I told my mom, hey, I know you've been wanting the Accord. I'll give you the Accord. You help me get this car. And pretty much she, we bought it on the spot, turned it on. She physically had to drive it from the lot uh, home because I couldn't drive standard. And this was back in... 2000 i think or 19 yeah 2000 so she drove it home then i learned how to drive standard on that car and um so i had big plans for it you know i had already done a lot of research with having the accord and initially i wanted to put an h22 in the accord and do the five speed swap and all that stuff since it was automatic but i reserved it all for the civic now not a lot of people i mean i think there was one other guy in austin uh, they had an H22 in his Civic, and it never ran right. People would always say, oh, that thing's, it's not worth it because the engine's heavy and it's slow, but I think he just, it, he must have not changed the plugs or something. Or So anyway, I, I ordered a H22 uh, engine and transmission from Japan. It was actually the blue top, so it was kind of like the, the Type S version that comes over there. Uh, so I had like 215 or 220 horsepower. It actually came with the Spoonie CU, a real Spoonie CU. Um, it also came with RSR header, 4-2-1, which back then, those parts were like so ridiculously expensive. 
and to acquire that kind of stuff from Japan, you know, I mean, not a lot of people were spending that kind of money on their Hondas back then to get those authentic, real expensive JDM parts. And then uh, it also came with a, a JDM LSD. So this car had LSD stock, uh, the Spoonie CU, and the RSR header. So, so yeah, the engine was a uh, H22, uh, blue top, Spoonie CU, RSR header, JDM LSD. And um, yeah, the price was around 4,500 or five grand, somewhere around there. And back then it was, you know, that's the price you paid for those kind of engines, even though uh, like a Type R, B18 C5 Type R engine is what a lot of people liked for their EGs. Those are like $6,500 because those automatically came with LSD and all that stuff. So, but anyway, I wanted to be different and I wanted to try to put that big monstrosity in my EG hatchback. So, um, so bought that from a shop in California. They shipped it here. Uh, it's actually I think Honda, Honda Motors Online, I think they're still around too. Uh, but I dealt with them. They uh, shipped it to me back then. And at the time, I was working at a, or I guess I could, I, I wasn't working, but I was helping at a shop and it was called Tybrid. The guy's name was Tyrone. He was kind of well known back in the Honda community back in the day. He was here in Austin. Um, quite a few cars from his shop that were built, as far as Hondas go, were pretty fast and well known too. It was a guy named Bruce who had a really, really clean black 93 hatchback with Volk C28Ns before like anybody had those. Um, just quality parts all around. B18 C5 Type R engine. He was running like high 12s. Um, fast car. Fully in a. Another guy was Chun. He had a B18 C5 Type R as well. So a lot of those cars were coming up. Um, so... At that time, I told Tyrone, hey, um, you know, I got this H22 I want to put on my Civic. And I kind of learned a lot with Speed Syndicate, the previous crew I was within. We'd always do our own engine swaps. Uh, you know, we'd break an axle here and there. You know, I kind of learned to work on cars with those guys. They actually taught me a lot um, just being around them and doing different stuff and, you know, not being scared to try to work on your car. So, uh, we did our own swaps. We did, you know, anything that we ever bought aftermarket, we did ourselves. We never took it to the shop. So I think the only thing I ever took my car to get done at the shop was when I had my Honda Accord. Uh, there was a performance shop called Raining Performance in Austin. It's kind of old school, too. And those guys put on the Tanabi Hyper Medallion exhaust on my car, uh, on my Accord back then. And uh, that was a big meeting spot for racing on Saturday nights, Friday and Saturday nights, they had like a huge uh, meetup. And uh, back then, whenever you went to a meetup, it was more about racing people. Uh, I guess that's one of the kind of the changes that has happened lately. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a bad thing, but it, it has definitely changed now. Like I think there's more of an emphasis on car meets and kind of shows and hanging out, which I love, you know? Um, but back then my car was never really pretty. So it was always about going fast. Um, so yeah, we hadn't, we, I went ahead and spoke with Tyrone and told him, Hey, so I got this H22 engine. I want to put it inside my EG hatchback. And, uh, he said, okay. So he made me a deal. Um, I had to buy a support mounts for back then to put the engine in that Civic to convert it. And I allowed him to try to, uh, replicate those Hossport mounts. So you can kind of do those in house and put more H22s and Civics easier. And for that exchange, he would help me put the engine in. Uh, so we, we did it, put the engine in, got it running. And I remember the first night we took it out, I was so excited. And there were so many people at the shop because they were kind of curious how fast the H22 
Civic EG was back then, you know, back in 2000. Um, and uh, I remember I went to go race one of my buddies who had an H22 in his Accord. So kind of like the previous build that I, I wanted to do initially. So, I, you know, I was I was ecstatic about it, really happy to get it running and go show him what he could do. And I was like thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to kick the shit out of this dude on the highway, you know. So we go to 35 back then when there wasn't many cars late at night, race on the highway. And uh, he, he d- demolishes me. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell's going on, you know? Same exact engine. Actually, mine's more powerful because it's a Type S version. I got a Spoonie CU. I got an RSR header. I got a full exhaust on this thing, a full intake, and he's beating me in his, you know, Accord with the with the same engine with less power. Uh, so I was really stumped, and I'll never forget it. Went back that after that, kind of pissed off. Like, man, I spent all this money, and something's got to be wrong, you know. It just it, it felt okay. It didn't feel too bad, but we knew something was wrong. So Tyrone kind of comes out. He's like, "What happened? How'd it go?" Told him the news. He's like, first thing he told me." take off your catalytic converter and check it. So I was stumped. I was like, catalytic converter? Okay. So I jacked the car up right then and there, took it off. Sure enough, it's clogged, completely clogged. So that was the reason I pretty much went and got a a jack handle, hollowed it out right there, old school manual style. Uh, just hit all the honeycomb out that was clogged up, put it back on, went out and raced, beat him by like seven car lengths. Uh, so... That's kind of the beginning of a little bit of backstory of how I kind of got into cars. And from that point, uh, raced quite a few people uh, in the Honda and never really lost too much. When it came to Hondas, not too many people uh, could beat that thing. It was pretty fun. I was beating the guys with the B18C5s in their uh, EG hatches. So I think one of the guys even converted because he got beat by me. So, um, but yeah. Uh, after that, I kind of saw what the Civic can do, and it actually started to scare me the more that I raced it and was getting into it because I had an LSD, and it was it would grip awesome off the, off the launch and stuff, but I broke countless axles in that thing, and it was always the passenger side. Uh, one of the main reasons is because all the torque of the LSD and the wheels and stuff, and, and actually the way the, the Hotsport motor mounts sat, the H22 and the Civics back in the day, uh, the axles weren't weren't perpendicular they're kind of slanted so uh this is before you could buff up by like drive shop drive shaft shop axles or anything like that uh so we're just running like a custom integra outer with a prelude inner so it was a modified uh axle that i was using because the the spline count on the h22 and the the civic hubs are different so we put those together uh they'd last depending on how hard it beat the car two to three months and I had to change it out. So another interesting story that nearly took my life was uh, me and a couple of my speed syndicate buddies were cruising down 35 on a Saturday night. I believe it was Saturday or Friday night, uh, probably about one in the morning or so. And one of my buddies, him and his EG and his B18, wanted wanted to race. So we both downshift going about 60 or so. There's nobody on the highway and uh, we both punch it. He got the jump on me, so I started reeling them in, switched to fourth gear, slam on the gas, keep going. I was shifting at like 8,500 with the Spoonie CU. Uh, and then as soon as I went into fifth gear, I was going like 100 and, I don't know, 110, 115. The gears are pretty short in that JDM LSD transmission. 
as soon as I, as soon as I shifted into fifth, I stomped on the gas, the axle broke, you know, and we're going 115, you know, miles an hour racing. Thank God he was in front of me and got the jump. Uh, as soon as the axle broke, the steering wheel locked to the right uh, all the way, you know. And uh, at the portion of the highway that we were going under, there was a, a big a bridge above us. And on the right side, it was the side of the bridge, you know, because we were going underneath it on 35 South, uh, right by Cesar Chavez, if anybody knows the area. And um, so I, to this day, I don't know how I was able to get my reactions quick enough to turn the wheel, but I yanked it to the left as fast as I could. And as it was already trying to go to the right from the broken axle, I spun three times, three 360 degrees on the highway. You know, I, and there was so much smoke from the tires and all I could see was headlights, darkness, headlights, darkness, headlights, darkness. You know, I could see like 18 wheelers coming at me and it was, you know, it was in the distance, but there was a couple of my buddies behind me as well. And they saw the whole thing. Uh, I landed. When I when it came to a complete stop after those spins, I was in the fast lane. So when we began racing, I was in the slow lane. So I went across three lanes doing those 360s. Um, came to a stop, didn't hit a single thing. Uh, I really believe God saved me that day. There's no other way around it. I should be I should be dead. I shouldn't even be able to be talking with you about this podcast today, Ernest. Um, so that that pretty much shocked me. And at that point, I told myself, all right, no more front-wheel drive racing. I think I didn't drive a car for three to four months after that incident. Um, but I was able to peg leg it off the, the highway real quick before anybody hit me and pulled into a gas station right there by Riverside. And yeah, that uh, that definitely put things into perspective, uh, how, how dangerous stuff can be when you think you're young and invincible. But, you know, something like that makes your butt pucker your yeah, your butt pucker up. So it's a uh, pretty scary. <laughs> okay. So then I remember you were telling me after that incident with the Honda and it put you off of racing. Is that when you considered selling, selling the Honda? I think you told me the story about you sold it to like uh, some teenager at the time. Yeah. So right, right when that happened, it, you know, put a lot of things into perspective. And um, at that point I was kind of like, man, maybe I shouldn't even do racing anymore really you know after having such a close call um but at that time i was kind of still going to the meets here and there and uh i was driving the car around still and one of my buddies uh came over one time and i actually said you know what i'm gonna put the car up for sale just to see if there's any interest so i put the car up for sale and i parked it out in front of my mom's area in cedar park uh, there was like a little lot you could park your car and put a sign for sale uh, so i did that and um within that first day i got like 10 calls you know back then a lot of people were wanting those civic egs you know just to do racing with their stuff so one of the guys that came and looked at it uh was uh, a father and his son and after talking to them for a while they actually owned a barbecue spot up there in, in cedar park i think it was called jj's barbecue and um so I was talking to the guys, you know, and they wanted to do a test drive. And I said, sure, take it, you know, take it around the corner, do whatever you like. And I kind of showed them all the modifications that had been done to the car. So it's got an H22, it's got LSD. Um, you know, the first thing I told them to is, uh, is this car going to be for you? Is it going to be for your son? And, you know, he said, yeah, it's going to be my son's first car. He just turned 16, got his driver's license. 
and he's really big into Hondas right now. And um, he really wants one and he saw yours. And now that, you know, he kind of sees that it's swapped with the motor already because that's what he wanted to do. He's really interested. So I, I told him, you know, straight up, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth, even though it may prohibit me from getting a sale, this car nearly killed me just because of the, you know, the things that happened with it. You know, I didn't want to, I don't want to sell something to him and hear in the newspaper that someone had killed themselves, you know? Um, so I kind of told him all about that stuff. And I said, you know, I, I honestly told him, this is probably not a good first car for your son. Um, maybe better off with just starting like a, with a normal Civic hatchback with a stock D16 engine or something. But, you know, his dad was, I mean, the, the son was persistent. He really, really wanted a car. And uh, I think at the time I sold it for like 4,500 bucks, which is pretty cheap. Um, because the car actually had got into a small wreck previously. Uh, somebody had backed into it and I was going to fix the body damage. Um, so, but they said, you know, they'll fix all that and do all that stuff. So pretty much made decent amount of all my money back on it. Sold the car to the guy. And to this day, I, I've never seen that car hurt anything. So uh, I'm not sure if it's still running or what's going on with it. But, um, but yeah, I was a little hesitant to sell it to him just because of, because of the situation, but, uh, you know, his dad gave him approval and said, my, my son really wants the car. So at that time I sold the car and, uh, I kind of started to get the bug back of, you know, wanting to modify and do something different. And, uh, I remember back then when we used to go to car meets, there used to be a meet on uh, 183, which is a highway here. And there's a circuit city that used to be there. And it used to be a huge meet. I mean, that, that meet the parking lot was huge so you'd have on a saturday night the circuit city meet anywhere from i'd, I'd want to say two to three hundred cars i mean seriously no joke back then everybody was big into you know modifying the cars and racing in the honda scene and all that stuff so uh i remember one time i went to the meet and uh i always saw this car there you know back then and i, I knew what an arc seven was but i never really put two and two together or paid much attention to it just kind of because i kind of grew up around learning everything with the hondas um so i remember seeing this car pull into the parking lot and it was a white arc seven and i remember the guy's name he was a, a middle eastern guy his name was sala so he had a white fd arc seven and um pulled into the circuit city parking lot and you could just hear the infamous brop 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 you know just it sounds like a huge cam, of course, right? Back then, I didn't, I didn't know about ports or anything. And I was like, man, that thing sounds pretty cool. It sounds mean. And, you know, a lot of people, it always got a lot of looks. You didn't see arc 7s a whole lot back then. They were modified. Um, but we did have a tuning shop here that was called MZM. And those guys always kind of had quite a few arc 7s uh, that they would modify and stuff. Um, so he was actually with them, uh, I believe. So Salo was a part of that shopper. Kind of got his car done at that shop so at that point i kind of started getting real interested into rx7s and so first thing i did is try to learn what's the differences with the rotary you know um so it kind of started but this was i'd say this was probably like 99 or 2000 you know when i was starting to get my civic uh but because i had always saw that car and uh when i sold the civic i went back to that and i was like hey maybe i should try a rotary car uh so it kind of started from there so venture into 2002 that's when i sold the civic 
And uh, later that year, I acquired my first ARC-7, which was a 1987 Mazda RX-7 Turbo 2. Um, bought it from a guy in San Antonio for about 3,500 bucks. It was pretty cheap. Uh, paint was really clean, nice red. It was repainted. Uh, had low mileage. It was like, I want to say like 95,000 miles, which is, wasn't too bad back then. Um, completely stuck. I remember the car, uh, when I went to go check it out, me and my dad drove down to San Antonio and uh, I saw it at nighttime and the guy was telling me, yeah, it's had it for a while. And the only thing is I'm selling it kind of cheap because it doesn't stay running. Um, so I told myself, you know what, after doing a motor swap and helping my friends do motor swaps and doing all this work, I'll figure it out. Um, it was a good price for the car and the mileage and the paint was really clean. The body was straight. So I purchased it completely stock and it had a coolant leak, drove it all the way back to Austin. Um, and I had to actually keep the revs up when I come to a stop, otherwise it would die. Uh, so bought the car, bring it back. First thing I did was just start taking it apart and researching a little bit on arc seven club, see what's going on with it. The secondary injectors were, uh, not wired up. So in the primary injectors, which, so on the ARC-7, you have two sets of injectors, secondaries and primaries. I'll explain it because I'm sure a lot of you rotary guys are listening know about this, but maybe the other people don't. Um, the primaries are what are used to keep your car idling and anything from zero to 3,500 RPMs. Uh, anything above that, you'll have the secondaries come on, uh, which are the top two injectors. So there's four injectors total. Uh, so the primaries were leaky. So it was just kind of leaking fuel into there and, it was, you know, running so rich, it would bog the car up and just kill it. Uh, so one of the first things I did was take the upper intake manifold off, put some new injectors that I sourced locally used. Uh, they were cleaned and high flowed and everything and put them in and boom, car idled perfect. Started cleaning it up and doing stuff like that. So back then, and around this time is when I started to really get a lot of option videos. Um, so I had a Honda option video, option two, Bought the RX-7 special option video, um, quite a few others. So I kind of, of course, back then, uh, there weren't that many people that knew about REM and Mia, to be honest. Unless you, you know, sourced the option video like I did, or you knew somebody who went to Japan, or somebody with the RX-7 community. Um, so around 2000 is when the REM and Mia RX-7 debuted, 99 or 2000, and it's called the White Comet. So that was their demo car that kind of showcased their new uh, body kit that they came out with, which is what we know now as the AG, ADGT wide body kit, you know, with the N1 facer. So this one was, there's three different versions of the bumper, and this one had the, the old one with the, with custom front turn, turn signals. And uh, the car had like a TD0725G, big side port, uh, street port, so they call it in Japan, side port. Uh, big street port, you know, big front mount intercooler, uh, running Motec, you know, doing all this stuff. So seeing this car in option, um, you know, my love for RX-7 has just increased. So I, I told myself back then, if I ever get an RX-7 93 through 95 uh, FD, I'll definitely, you know, that's that's how I want my car to look. I want it to look like the RM Mia car, you know, do it that way. I mean, it was just amazing. No other... ARC-7 captured my attention like that one did back when I saw that option video. Um, so I kind of went on that, that. That's what kickstarted the journey for that, even though I just bought it FC. 
because uh, I couldn't really afford an FD at the time. So I settled for the 87 FC. And to this day, I love that car. You know, I still wish I had it, wish I would have never sold it. But uh, eventually I did a big street port on the FC, blew the engine two or three times overall. Over the 10 years I had it, I think I sold it in like 2000, I'm sorry, maybe eight years. Sold in like 2010 or 2009, something like that. Um, Can you explain but, real quick the difference in the porting? Because I know that that's a question that comes up a lot. The so, difference in the porting for the rotors. Yeah, so whenever you, you know, you have a standard port, which is just a stock port. And um, after that, you've got different variations of ports. There's typically three ports, though. Um, actually, I guess you could say four. So there's a stock port. There's a street port, which is an extended stock where you kind of just you mill out the port a little bit to increase airflow for the intake side on the side housing of the rotor engine. And, um, you know, there's like a big street port, a small streets port. It, it's, it's all pretty much just however the person who's doing it wants to label it because it's kind of one of those things where you can, you can buy a template from racing beat to copy it and do it, but it's, it's a lot of custom porting, you know what I mean? So it's it's very highly unlikely that you'll have two ports on the same engine that are exactly the same just because it's such a, a manual process, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you can't get it a hundred percent perfect like the other side. Um, anyway, so that's a street port. You got a stock port, you got a street port, you have a bridge port. Um, so the bridge port, you actually cut another hole on the side of the intake port. So, it allows even more air to be pushed into the engine. And the reason why it's called a bridge port is because what's left when you make that new hole next to the hole that's already there, it creates a small bridge. The reason why you need that bridge is so that the side seal and the corner seal have something to uh, support it when the rotor spins the engine. Otherwise, it'll just fall out and you'll blow your engine. Uh, so there's it's, it's called a bridge port because it looks like a little bridge is just sitting there you know um as well the reason why you do a bridge port instead of you know most people will say well why don't you just use a street port that big instead of having to do the bridge port well if you cut into that much material you actually go into the water jacket and um that's not good it's pretty much the same as having a blown head gasket in a piston engine you'll have water and coolant mix and the car will overheat uh, which will require a whole new engine rebuild so you have to keep that portion because of the way the the how the the side housing is is cast from Mazda, um, so you've got a street port, bridge port, the stock port, and then the insane biggest one that you know it's pretty much race only is a peripheral port, and you've got two different versions of that. You got like a semi semi peripheral port and a full peripheral port. So a lot of the like the NA three rotor guys they'll go full peripheral port. You know they they don't care about drivability or anything. If it's just a time attack car, they they want to get the most out of it in a so um, and it gives some horsepower figures and with a street port and you know a turbo engine like typically street port and a bridge port those will be done with turbo engines peripheral ports mainly will be done with the na engine but you there, there is still a way to do peripheral port with the turbo engine as well it's just it's just less common you don't see that as often um, but porting can give you know anywhere from 10 to 50 horsepower depending on which one you choose and you know so it it 
it um it makes a big difference on the breathability of the rotary engine which that's the number one thing they just breathe so well you know you open up the exhaust and you can gain massive amounts of power just from you know evening up the flow of the exhaust and stuff like that so they really like to breathe and consume a lot of air and fuel um so yeah that's so you know street ports you've got bridgeport peripheral port and you got your stock port so those are the main four different types you got so and going back to you selling the fc yeah so I've, i had the fc for a long time i modified it with hks turbo kit hks to4e put down some decent numbers in 2005 it was like 380 at the wheels almost 300 wheel torque um did a lot of street racing in that in that car um yeah didn't really i don't think i mean not to sound cocky at all you know but i don't think i ever lost in that car i, I raced a c5s cams and head uh heads and cams that c5 z06 on the highway he blew his engine racing me on mopac um we did it twice i think the second time he tried to spray and blew up and kept telling me what the hell do you got in that thing but you know it's just an old 87 rx7 so nobody really suspected it too much um so going back to selling it I finally came around a deal um, through one of my good friends. So at the time, one of my friends was building uh, a FC. It was a, a convertible. It was an 89 convertible, so it was S5, and he wanted to put a turbo engine in it. And that's not uncommon. You know, a lot of the NA guys and the convertible guys, they always want to do the turbo swaps just to get more power. Um, we never got turbos here in the in the us for the convertibles but in japan they did so um a lot of guys sourced the engines and just put those in so he was living in an apartment during the time uh off riverside here in austin and i'd, I'd go over there to help him a lot kind of he was kind of new to the rotary thing and wanted some help and knew that i knew quite a bit about doing all my own swaps and rebuilding my own engines and stuff so i went over there to help him out and um during that time you know we we be there for hours on you know on in per day five hours six hours every day just to try to get it going and uh one of the residents that was up there would always kind of come by and talk to us and say hey what are you guys doing here you know kind of interested in seeing what we we're doing kind of cool guy and we told him uh yeah i'm just helping one of my buddies get a turbo engine into his convertible uh arc 7 and uh he said man i love you know the guy was telling me his love for arc 7s so he kind of wanted to come talk to us and see what was done to the ones we had because I had my FC there. One of my other buddies, Peter, he had his white 10th anniversary FC there, Turbo. So it's three FCs there, you know, the, and then the convertible. We're all working together. So he said y'all was like Dark 7, so he'd come to talk to us here and there. And uh, really nice guy. So, you know, that went on. We got the motor running, uh, put a haul tech in the car, did all that stuff. And then um, one day I'm driving in my FC just – going up north on 35 in austin this was probably three months later four months later after we got my buddy's car running and i see i see a silver fd on the highway I'm like wow that's pretty cool you never really see fds too much I'm just driving around the sea and um the guy sees me i kind of wave you know just give him a nod like nice car and he rolls his window down the passenger side and we're driving 40 miles an hour 50 miles an hour and he's telling me pull over pull over so i i didn't know who this guy was or didn't really get a good look at him but i was like okay cool another arc 7 owner wants to chit chat about cars i'm always down you know um so we pull over into an ihop 
And I get out of the car and lo and behold, it's the same guy who um, would come down and talk to us in the apartment complex that my buddy was building at Convertible FC. And, uh, you know, it was, I was like, hey, yeah, man, I remember you. I haven't seen you in such a long time. And uh, he's like, well, check it out. I got an ARC-7. I've always wanted an FD and I got one. So I'm like, man, it's beautiful. It's nice. It was a, it's a silver 1993 uh, Silverstone Metallic completely stock car had like 85,000 miles on it but all black interior and it was a base model so it didn't have a sunroof um and didn't have a wing you know and it only came with one oil cooler um but i was told myself man if i ever got an arc 7 that's one of the ones i would want i'm a taller guy i'm six feet so uh having that additional headroom without a sunroof helps and um so he's like yeah man so I got this car, you know, and but it's, it has a lot of problems. He was telling me that it's not boosting correctly, which is a common problem with twin turbo RX-7s, especially if they're stuck. That means the owner hasn't probably done any maintenance with the, the vacuum lines on the sequential turbo setup. And um, should you not, those sequential twins, man, if they're stuck with all the emissions and everything, they come with over 100 vacuum lines. So it's a big task to go in there and change them all out. Um, so a lot of people are kind of weary of doing it or they, they take it somewhere else if they're unfamiliar with the car. So he had asked me if I would help him to try to figure it out. So I said, yeah, sure. You know, I, I'd worked on a couple of FDs back then to help some buddies out that had some, um, help one of my buddies do a full TO4E build on his FD previously. So I was like, yeah, uh, I've helped him work on his twins before. So I told him, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to help you out and get it running. Right. So. Uh, we kind of took it for a spin so that he could replicate what was going on and the car was just breaking up pretty bad. And I, I specifically told him, man, don't, don't get on this car anymore. Cause he was driving it pretty aggressive to show me the symptoms and it was popping and breaking up and, you know, it, it just didn't sound right. And uh, I told him, you gotta be careful with rotary engines. They're very sensitive to detonation and stuff and the car's not running right. It's a, uh, it's not a good thing just to keep getting on and exacerbate the problem. So try to help him. But at that time I was working quite a bit, didn't really have time to uh, give him a hand on that stuff. So um, I told him some things to do, test this, check this. I think we swapped out like 10 of the easy lines that I could get to. And I told him we'll have to wait a couple of weeks because I have to take the manifold off and it's going to, it's going to be a lot more intrusive on uh, doing that stuff, but I'll help you do it. So he said, okay. Cause he knew he, I was kind of busy at that time. And, and then like, uh, I think we were set up for like two weeks from that point to do the full, uh, full changeover to uh, silicone from the original vacuum lines. And like a week into that, like the week before we were supposed to do that, he called me up. I was working at Boost Logic at the time, and uh, performance shop. And he said, "Hey man, I think I'm some, I think I'm gonna sell the RX7." And I said, "Oh really?" I said, "What what makes you want to sell it? I mean, you just got it, and I know it's kind of a car you've always wanted." And, uh, you know, I kind of already told him previously that I've always wanted to FD like his before. And uh, he told me, well, I, I'm going to start a business because uh, he was really big into motorcycles. So he was going to start a company uh, just purchasing motorcycles, fixing them up and reselling them. And he kind of needed some, you know, capital for investment and stuff like that. So he wanted to get some money to kind of start the business. Uh, so he told me, yeah, I just want to call it a give you the first dibs because you've helped me so much and I know how much you've always wanted a FD. Uh, so I wanted to give you the first opportunity at owning it. 
And at this point, you know, I was excited, but at the time I already knew, I was like, there's no way I can probably afford this right now. It's going to, he's going to want like 15 grand or, you know, 16 grand, what they're going for at that time with that mileage and being that clean in stock and stuff. So, um, so I was talking to him and, he, and my, my mouth just dropped on the floor. He's like, if you come get it this week, um, you know, I really want to sell the car and uh, get the company going, man, I'll sell it to you for 4,500 bucks. I couldn't believe what he said. As soon as he said 4,500 bucks, I told him, where are you at? And he told me, I'm over here on this, you know, this gas station on Lamar. I still remember exactly where. I said, just stay there. I'm going to take off work right now. I'm going straight to the bank and I'm going to give you the 4,500 bucks. So uh, that's, that's the story on how I acquired it so cheap. Just, I guess, you know, like they say, uh, I really believe in karma and doing good deeds for people and, you know, help people out, do things, you know, come back around to you. And this is definitely proof of that. So I was ecstatic to say the least. So that was how I acquired it so cheap. And then after that, when, like, when did the ball start rolling as to getting it to where it is now? So that was 2006 when I purchased the vehicle from him. Uh, so I had the FC and the FD at the same time, which not a not a good you know unless you're unless I'm in the financial situation I am now where I, I you know I have enough money to do two arc sevens it's a bad idea when you're younger. The arc, one of them was always blown, the other one was running. At one point, both of them were, were blown. So, um, so I purchased the car in 2006 from them. I'd say the balls really started going. Uh, at this time, I was still working at Boost Logic, so you know they could order anything I wanted from any manufacturer in Japan. You know, we always got parts like that and stuff. So I think it was around 2008, 2009. I really started to acquire the body kit and the wing and uh, all sorts of stuff. Like previously to that, I I did some minor stuff. Like I put a, I think the first thing I did was put a Power FC on the car, and that was like 2007. Um, just a lot more reliable, um, does wonders for the car. You can make 50 horsepower from a good tune in a power FC, just like that. And then I got rid of the emissions, did a whole bunch of work, but 2008 is when the ball really started going with like kind of the rare parts. I bought, um, or car pole position cause I eventually wanted to track the car. So I wanted to make sure I got a seat that was FIA approved. Um, yeah, got the full kit, uh, that took a month to come in stuff like that um you know just that kind of started happening slowly but surely and then in 2011 um actually let me go back a little bit the the car drove well for a year and a half and um this goes back to my previous story so when the previous owner was kind of getting on it quite a bit i think he had damaged the engine somewhat uh, the compression was kind of low already yet when I got into the compression check. So I knew the the car probably wouldn't last that much longer. It was the original engine with 85,000 miles. Um, so I anticipated needing a rebuild. One day I was driving it, car blew up on me. It's 2007, I think, right before I went to Japan uh, for the first time. And um, the car actually sat and I'm not even sure if I mentioned this with the earnest before, but it, it sat from 2007 to 2011. So it sat, you know, a good four years, four and a half years. Um, 
at the time I was still working at Boost Logic, like I stated, and the FC was still running. So I was like, oh, I'll get my fix from the FC, you know, making power. I'll get the FD running later when I got more money. At that time, I was still throwing money into the FC, you know, and having two ARC 7s. Um, it was a financial disaster, right? FD. So, so it sat until 2011. I had this full stockpile of parts in my attic, a full bumper, RME wide body kit, the Voltex wing, you know, the wheels I had already on it, the Advan RS, and um, it already had coilovers that I had purchased from Japan. Uh, so it, um, it had some parts on it, but it, it sat for a really long time. And um, I was just like, you know what? I'm tired of the car just sitting there. And it was actually sitting in my grandfather's place. Multiple times people would go by there and say, hey, you guys want to sell that car? It's been sitting a long time. And, you know, of course, I wouldn't sell it since I got it for such a good deal. And it's always a dream car I wanted. Um, so, yeah, 2011 came around and I said, screw this. It's time to to get the FD going. And I sold the FC in 2010. So I think that year that I didn't have an ARC-7 running, I had a lot of withdrawals. So that kind of motivated me to get the FD going and go full out on everything I had kind of envisioned since 2000. Um, so yeah, I got it running, rebuilt the whole engine in my kitchen at the time uh, in a weekend. So did all that stuff myself, uh, rebuilt the engine, put it in, check in, check in clearance on it, make sure everything was in tolerance within tolerances. And um, so put it in, got it started. And uh, yeah, from 2011, it's been running on the same engine till till, till today, till this day. Um, I went ahead and oh, yep. I so, wouldn't remember you told me that there was the one, the one thing that you carried over from your FC was the steering wheel. Yep, that's true. So that that steering wheel had a lot of uh, history to me. Um, so back in the day, there was a guy. A uh, really good guy. He's still around, but he's he's pretty low key. His name's Chuck. Uh, older guy, older Japanese dude. He's probably in his late fifties, early sixties now. Uh, lives in San Antonio, so he actually helped me do quite a bit when I was younger. Uh, he taught me a lot too. Um, he has a really fast first gen. He's he's really big into drag racing, but big rotary guy. He's owned Arc Sevens all his life, and he actually lived in Japan and. Um, Back in the day, you know, it was really big to uh, always see what the guys in Japan were doing with ARC-7s and racing on the Wangan and stuff. And uh, Chuck actually was doing that, you know, back in the day. He had an FC with a TO4R. You know, there's a video on YouTube you can find. Uh, after this podcast and stuff, I'll put it on my Instagram so you guys can check it out. Uh, he's racing like a couple 500 horsepower R32 GTRs and pulling them in the Wangans pretty awesome for back in the day you know 2003 2004 so anyway um chuck at the time i kind of got to know him really well and knew some people that he knew in san antonio uh you know the rotary community was pretty small back then and we all kind of knew each other so chuck was in japan during the time and i talked with him quite a bit and i said hey um do you think you can source this i want a momo race steering wheel for my arc 7 back in the day i mean that's all that's all you saw on the arc 7 guys like even in japan they all had momo race steering wheels it was just something about that steering wheel that was really popular you know and uh that's what i wanted from arc 7 so i contacted chuck he was in japan at the time in, in uh tokyo and uh he uh he sourced one for me found one for me sent it to me and uh pretty much gave it to me for like 
30 bucks or 40 super cheap he's like hey man you're a good guy you know all these people you know after speaking with him and developing a relationship with him as in a friendship he pretty much gave it to me for nothing so i was always uh really happy that he did that and he actually helped me rebuild uh the fc uh one time and he didn't even charge me so a lot of respect and um you know he's kind of been a, a role model i guess you could say for me to be honest older guy that kind of knew what he was doing helping out the younger generation with learning and stuff i think that's always important and then also brian d kane and in, in dallas was another guy same like chuck guy helped me so much great tuner he tuned my car my fc and helped me rebuild multiple engines hardly ever charged me very much just good guys you know so i was fortunate enough to meet really really good people in the rotary community uh locally you know texas wise um so anyway he gave me the steering wheel and uh it meant a lot to me at the time uh had all my fc ran it there for however many years i i had the car and that's i actually sold the fc to my buddy a good friend of mine here in austin and i told him hey i'll sell you the car but you need to give me the steering wheel it's got sentimental value uh this is my first rotary it's been in there it was like one of the first mods i did uh, it's got a lot of sentimental value with that with, with that steering wheel so he gave it he gave it to me he said yeah no problem I'll, I'll give it to you you know a good friend of mine sold the car to him and then i put that thing on my fd i've had it on the fd forever um what's funny though now is i actually purchased a different steering wheel um a few years back and i actually sold that momo steering wheel to a good friend of mine here her name's fisa she has a yellow cym fd uh, she's originally from California. Some of the Arc Seven Club guys may know her. Um, but yeah, she has it now. So I told her, hey, take care of this steering wheel. Don't ever sell it. It's got sentimental value. And uh, Fisa's real cool. So she uh, she's like, yeah, no, it's it's in good hands. So that, that steering wheel meant a lot to me. And to be honest with you now speaking about it, I'm surprised I even sold it. But I know it's in good hands now. And uh, just kind of reminds me of all the good times I had in the FC Street Racing and all the memories and making friends in the community and stuff so yes yeah, so I, re I remember I mean, just you saying that you meet older people that sort of influence you along the way and i mean a lot to you and i know for yep. sure that that's been you across the years since i met you and uh, i know you also said that you believed in karma so um when i met ron celestine in japan um uh, the story with him was that I he made Tokyo Tuner videos for people that don't know his um, his YouTube series. So he he makes videos that are specifically focused on builders uh, in Japan. And I had seen his videos um, at the time online. And when I went to Tokyo Auto Salon in 2017, I ran into uh, I ran into him knowing him only as the guy that made Tokyo Tuner videos because he had a Tokyo Tuner shirt on and he was recording. So I was like, hey man, like, um, are you the guy that makes Tokyo Tuner videos? And he said, yeah. I was like, oh dude, I, I love your videos so much. Um, I'm actually from, from Houston. I'm here just to see the show. And then he, uh, he told me, it's like, oh, where in Houston do you live? So I told him where I live. And it turns out that his family lived like 15 minutes up the road from where I live. So super, super like big coincidence that um, we were both there at the time. He actually lives in Tokyo and he told me, he's like, yeah, if, if ever I'm, uh, if ever I'm in town, I'll hit you up. And 
we'll just hang out. So this is before the time that I knew he rode for Speed Hunters. And when right. he like he came to Houston, he said, you know, I, uh, I showed him my car in Japan. And he said, you know what, I want to do an article or do a feature for Speed Hunters on your car. And uh, I was like, man, my car isn't anything. I still, put, I still think my car isn't anything special. But I thought, like, hey, if you want to do it for, for sure, dude, I'd really appreciate it. That'd be, that'd be amazing. Uh, this is, like, before the car had a six-speed six swap, before a whole bunch of other work that was done to it, before it had all the motor work done to it. And so when he did my – he did the feature for my car, and while he was here, I told him, like, look, if you want to see a car that's that I've seen in the past that I think is a true, true build, you have to go check out Lino in in Austin because his car is amazing. I know that he has everything done to it, and he did a lot of the work himself. Like you did a lot of yourself, specifically with the story that you told me about you rebuilding the engine in your kitchen. I thought yep. that that deserved a feature more so than my car. So I told him like, if you're here, go make the trip to Austin. Um, shoot his car i think you're not gonna get it so for sure i i thought to myself like if anybody deserves to be featured on something else become speed hunters it's you for your car and even just going back i remember the re- seeing the reaction of people when you brought that thing out to cars and coffee it was me you and long when he had his mixture of like rocket bunny m game um oh, yeah frs mm-hmm. so we all went to austin cars and coffee when it was still held up there uh by lake travis the oasis and everybody came to go check out your car because you know so few rx7s are out there especially built like yours and as soon as you popped your engine bay it was like people were looking at this super super like gorgeous diamond or something like that right out of the box um and then you're like this car is definitely special and it deserves way more attention than it than it uh it gets so that's why i go back to like believing in karma doing good things for people and especially uh, being a mentor to a lot of people is what you uh, what you give is what you get in return. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that too, Ernest. I'm humbled by uh, your words for sure because I think um, the best thing you can do, you know, is help other people out. I mean, uh, I'm going to go back to uh, Instagram post I just saw uh, Final Form FD did. David, he just actually posted this and his story is exactly uh, true, man, you know. You see a guy who has his Camry there in the parking lot and, um, you know, he has stickers on it or whatever. The first thing you may do, you know, as we all judge everybody, you know, it's it's hard to not judge a book by its cover, but it is what it is. It's human nature, I believe. And uh, the first thing you may think is, oh, look at this ricer, right? But you got to really remember your roots and try to always be humble and remember you were that guy that, at one point, you know, I was that guy at one point. I was that guy that didn't know anything about Hondas, didn't know anything about changing oil on my car, you know? Um, so there's so many people that help you across the way of your life, you know, just in, whether it be in cars, what, what anything you have an interest in, you know, as long as you, I feel like you stay humble, you help out people who are genuine to you and treat you the same way that you treat them, you know, everything works out in the end. So um, to hear you say those words, it humbles me. I appreciate it. So, um, but your car is definitely worthy. Uh, same status as my car for sure. So don't ever think that, Ernest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, I always, I have a bad habit of comparing it to to other people's cars. Uh, but I think, it gives me, me, yeah. you know, it gives me perspective as far as, it gives me a goal to continue reaching. 
exactly like the you know me 10 years ago to get into some personal thing i probably would have judged a lot of people more so than i do now that i'm older and i guess more wiser and more open-minded which is a good thing for sure um back then you know i, I was all about speed if it wasn't about going fast you know I'd, I'd probably hate on it a little bit to be honest with you but now like i you gotta learn to just appreciate what everyone's trying to do because everyone's got a different mission everyone's got their own vision for what they want to show and you know cars are an expression of ourselves of course so you know if you're talking about somebody or the way their car is or this and that you know people will take it personal because it's a reflection of themselves so i, I think it's good to, to always be humble always respect everybody you know and just encourage people encourage people to do stuff help people out um i think i got more satisfaction to be honest with you uh helping somebody or giving somebody advice to help them in a positive way um than showing my car off to be honest with you and that's why you know like instagram to me is we, we can i guess i can take it kind of in that, in that direction as well as instagram to me is great it's it's like i check it almost every day you know i'm, I'm still addicted to it but for me as as anybody who does follow me or is on my instagram as a friend or whatever i've always got it set to private to be honest just because i like having that many likes or that many people that follow me is secondary to me if I actually spoke about this uh, with Kim and I hope he doesn't mind me bringing this up, but I'm sure you won't. Um, you know, if you're doing it purely for the likes and purely to impress other people, man, you're doing it. You're not, you're not doing it right. You got to do it for yourself, man. Do So that's why I say, just do whatever you want to make yourself happy. Because in the end, if you're going to spend all this money, go through the lost blood, sweat and tears to build something, uh, you got to, damn well make sure that you're happy with the outcome and what you're using it for you know like some uh i've done a few track days in my car uh one coda one harris hill but not not nearly as many as i'd like uh that just comes from me being so busy with the the work schedule and uh, my title on, on my career and what i do it's just so many after hours and finding the time and money just to do it well money's not the problem but the time mainly but you know, like I, I've had so many people, you need to track your car more, you need to track your car more. And, and believe me, I, I definitely want to, but sometimes it just comes down to being able to be happy with, you know, if, if, if somebody builds a track car and they want that look, but they don't want to track it, hey, you know, that's, that's fine too. Um, but what's always inspired me personally is like the Japanese time attack cars. Um, and I guess my eyes were really open to that in 2007 when I first went for my first sevens day uh me and my buddy brandon who uh he's been a really long time friend of mine he's got an sr and his 240 but um he's been doing it for a long time just like i have has not did that before too many people had that swap in austin um we went to japan the first time and you know we had a great time it was just culture shock for the first time um seeing you know the uh three rotor in a peripheral port maroon fd out there that's actually a black fd now um you know so I, I know a lot of history about all those cars that maybe quite a few people don't know or it's changed like the scoot car that made 700 horsepower which was red back in the day with the t51r people probably see that on youtube with 
you know, uh, the option videos now, but that car is actually now uh, Koseki-san's silver car, which has a four-rotor in it. A lot of people really don't know that kind of stuff. So I, I think I'm blessed to be able to be there and kind of was along the way I've seen how things have changed. And it, it means a lot to me and it makes ARC-7s more special to me um, overall, just because of the little things I've picked up from being in the ARC-7 community for so long. Uh, and and don't, don't get me wrong, there's guys who've, you know, been in a lot longer than I have. Um, but those memories really shape uh, who I am today and the inspiration that I've had from building the car the way I've done it and the way I've wanted to do it. So, um, yeah, so I think we all get inspiration from a lot of things. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to uh, it's hard to pinpoint one exact thing that um, you'd say you get inspiration from only, you know, a certain one thing because it comes from a, a multitude of items. So, um, yeah. No, I think what you said is is very true. And I know that there's a whole lot more that we can go into as far as your history with Japan, the trips that you the trip that you made in 07 and the trip that we took together in yeah, 17. Yeah, together. Yeah, yep. for, but I think definitely an episode for another time because there's there's so more to be said, especially focusing on the current FD and the FD bill. But for anybody that's interested, they can find uh, find that Speed Hunters article that covers a majority of everything that you've done, the story that you've told, um, and also of course checking out your Instagram. So thanks for for sitting down and, and recording with me finally, even though it's through Skype, we managed to to get this down. But I know that Finally, we got it. <laughs> I know we'll have uh, we'll have an episode, another, I guess you could call it a part two in the future. So thanks, man. 